Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 174. This interview is with Craig Newmark, a self-described nerd, web pioneer, and advocate of technology for the public good. Craig is also the founder of Craigslist, the classified site that is today 64th on Alexa's global ranking and 11th in the U.S. Craig was kind enough to grant me an interview in which we discuss some of the endeavors in which Craig believes and has invested, including military veterans, voting, women in tech, trustworthy journalism, and peer-to-peer lending, doing good with the help of technology and passion. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue. So I have the extreme honor of having piped in from California, the lovely Gray, Craig Newmark. So Craig, tell us who you are, what you're up to these days, and what's your mindset? Uh, I'm a nerd. <laughs> no instinct for social conventions, plastic pocket protector, take black glasses taped together, a 1950s style nerd. But these days, uh, on the one hand, I do a customer service for a website I started. But more importantly, I'm devoting most of my energies these days to public service and philanthropy. My deal is I want to help people in the here and now while learning to get everyone to stand up for themselves and to get more effective for what they believe in in the long run. You know, uh, so you you started this site called CraigConnects.org, uh, and, and on it you have these five different missions that you've gone in. So just before I get into that, the idea of philanthropy and doing good, how, how did this come about? Is this something you've always had, or is this something that you had that came in after you, you left to Craigslist? Well, with my uh, professional work, I realized that what I was doing, what I was about, was helping people get through the day, giving people a break. And over time, people in different nonprofits and even government agencies asked me for help trying to reproduce that sense of mission and effectiveness. I started uh, doing a bit of it, then did a lot more of it. Uh, That's been 13 years, and I just keep uh, plugging away. My sense is to help people in the here and now while learning, while learning to help everyone use social media to get stuff done, specifically to help people of goodwill work together mm-hmm. to get stuff done. Do you, do you think that technology is an enabler of getting things, good things to be done? Uh, very much so. People do use technology to make things uh, happen. And normally, well, normally for good ends, I'm thinking about how I've been working with the food bank here in San Francisco and Marin counties to help people get uh, food on the table who might not be able to uh, afford it. Also, I'm helping a whole bunch of veterans groups both do outreach to their uh, client base, also to do fundraising, and to remind people in the U.S. that we owe a great debt to veterans and their families. And we're kind of forgetting that right now 
So it's even more important to remind people. I so agree with you, Craig. So you have these five different territories you've carved out. And, and you know, if I look at it from the outside, I say, well, they're, they're very different one from the other. So what, what made you choose these five? Is there some sort of commonality to each of them? Um, one way or the other, these areas somehow resonated with me. They appealed to me emotionally. And then I saw that those are areas where maybe I could help smart people make a difference. The deal is that, like for veterans and military families, the problem there is that there may be 40,000 or more groups trying to help, and some are very effective and some are very ineffective, distracting attention away from the groups which actually do something. So there I saw that I can help other people do some good in the here and now. In the case of uh, journalistic ethics and trust, I see that right now, and I'm speaking only as a news consumer, it's really hard to find news that's uh, consistently trustworthy. That's a really big area. So I figure I could uh, contribute in uh, that area. Other areas, uh, things I believe in, but I wasn't sure what to do about them until in the case of women in technology, I realized that people I already work with, well, they're, they're already doing a really good job with it. So I'll throw my support behind them. And one other area, uh, voting rights. Right now, over the next year, I think it's imperative for regular citizens to give back to the country by voting. Uh, we know that's uh, really important. I figure in the case of veterans and their families, they really risked a lot, sacrificed a lot, so that we have the right to live in a democracy. Well, that means it's incumbent upon citizens to get out there and vote. So I think voting rights is a big deal, and we know it's a big deal, even on an individual basis, because there are politicians who are trying to stop people from uh, voting in different states. Yeah, I mean, so if you look at all these different ones, I mean, they, they are disparate in terms of there's no real connection between them. But it seems like it's really just about your passion, your your need for each of these. And and certainly from my perspective, they all they all resonate with me. So I, I know this is a party, a political party that that captures all of these, but it's certainly they, they feel strongly for me. And, and I wanted to dig in a little bit on, on uh, trustworthy journalism. Because I think that if you look at democracy, it is one of the biggest issues that we have. I mean, not just uh, outside of America, but even in America. So how do you see trust in the business of media being reconciled? Well, it's a long story. I uh, made one attempt to help people do uh, much more scalable fact-checking. That didn't work. My perspective is that I'm only a news consumer. Uh, I'm not in the business and don't know it, and I'm not going to tell anyone how to do their job. Mm -hmm. The deal is I just want news I can trust, and uh, by accident, it could be a year ago, I stumbled across the Trust Project from the Markle Center for Applied Ethics out of Santa Clara University. Their idea, fundamentally, is to figure out how news outlets, news orgs, that want to be perceived as trustworthy how they would signal that intent. And then Jeff Jarvis, who is a real expert on the news business, That's for sure. I listened to what he says. Mm -hmm. He said, well, news aggregators could rank news articles 
uh, more highly through their commitment to ethical, trustworthy behavior. And then I read about Ken Doctor, the newsonomics guy. He studied, uh, he, he cited something from David Gehrig, said that advertisers would pay more for news which was trustworthy and original. So the deal is that the Trust Project, far as I could tell, is our best hope for trustworthy journalism. I haven't found anything else that's promising. One of the one of the the themes that's come out of this conference, which I'm at, which is the Web Summit in Dublin, is this. We're talking a lot about AI and robotics and 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 technology and lots of geeky nerdy stuff. At the same time, when we're talking about robotics and and, and artificial intelligence, there's also this big notion of trust. So it seems like it's you know within technology in general, it's an it's an important area. But for I mean, at this level. Trust in journalism is, is about helping democracy take its place. Would you put it at that kind of level? I do. I'd like to say that a, a, a trustworthy press is the immune system of democracy. <laughs> I even posted a, something on that recently on behalf of the uh, University of California Berkeley uh, Graduate School of Journalism. <laughs> the idea is that we need trustworthy information in order to make a lot of decisions whether it's buying a refrigerator or who to vote for. And without that, I have a feeling uh, we're going to have big problems in our country. Maybe we already do. Mm. All right. So the idea of, of ranking media companies for the trustworthiness is, is very obvious. And I can see why that would happen with the New York Times, or the Washington Post or whatever. But what about the role of independent bloggers? Because they too provide a window with their little smartphone. Everyone's a journalist. Everyone's a photographer. Do you think that there's a viable role for bloggers in this world of trustworthy journalism? Uh, first, uh, you'll forgive me a, a correction there. We're not talking about ranking news organizations for trustworthiness. Nothing like that. In this model, a news outlet basically commit to a code of ethics and accountability to that code of ethics. I see. For example, they would commit to avoid things like making stuff up. They would commit to a good faith level of fact-checking, that kind of thing. And then those articles could be ranked more highly depending on the criteria. On that basis, a blogger who committed to this kind of trustworthy behavior would have a big advantage over a big news organization which didn't commit to ethical behavior. And so this actually acts as some, uh, could act as something of an equalizer. Well, so when you, when you look at it, at the organization, I'm not exactly sure how it works, but do, is it, is it sort of a blanket statement for the organization or is it by the journalist? Because at the end of the day, uh, these, it's the journalists that are behind the, the title that are doing the fact checking. So do you think it is a role for identifying the trustworthiness of individual journalists or, or should it be at the level of the, or the organization? I think that's a matter of the, the nature of the agreement, the operating agreement between a, any given news organization and any given reporter. That's uh, their business. And I think it's out of line for me to uh, tell them how they should do things. Well, I guess maybe it's more as a, a consumer because at the end of the day, when we're reading, there are certain journalists we prefer to read than others, even within a, a title. Um, so I'm not going to ask you which, which are your preferred journalists, but Jeff Jarvis is a great source. 
Another topic for you, Craig, which is really important, I can I can tell us, is, is women in tech. And it's a topic you constantly see coming up. There's obviously this issue in Silicon Valley and everyone's on top of it. So why do you think it's so important in technology? Because it's, it's also the case in so many other industries. But why do you think it's so important in tech? Well, I think it's important in all human matters because I feel that you should treat people like you want to be treated. That applies to anything, including uh, technology. For technology, you know, if, uh, if I was running a company, which, which I'm not, I'd want to be able to hire the best people, and I don't think uh, I don't think gender matters. I was I was talking with a lady um, called Heidi Spirgi, who works in Silicon Valley, and she works at a big company, uh, Marcus Buckingham, and we and she's a big proponent of women in tech because she came up through the ranks, and and she said that tech has a bad brand when it comes to women. So that the, it's sort of hard to attract women into um, this more geekier world, perhaps, because they don't view it as women-friendly. What do you think of the ways that we can render or change that branding so that women find more pleasure and are more attracted to coming into the industry, too? Well, the way I'm doing it is by standing up for the uh, good groups who are moving the issue ahead. For example, I'm highly involved in the Women's Startup Challenge. Uh, the next round of it will be uh, next week, where we you know, surface a lot of uh, good companies in technology run by women. And I'm uh, adding my own influence and uh, dollars to the issue. I'm supporting a number of other groups uh, across the world via an organization uh, in town called the Global Fund for Women, uh, they support groups like, in India, uh, feminist access to technology. I figure I locate people of goodwill who are getting stuff done, and then I uh, lend them support in the most valuable uh, terms I have. That's a combination of uh, reputation and uh, cash. And then I let the people of goodwill do what they do best. I get out of the way. <laughs> I should add there, getting out of the way is sometimes the best thing you can do to support anyone. That's once you know yourself, right? It's, uh, it's, so, it's almost like saying being able to say no. Uh, perhaps so. Some things are difficult, uh, delegating, uh, but the getting out of the way part is really hard because sometimes you have emotional attachments to something or sometimes you have to pay attention to how things are going and then make a judgment call as to whether or not you should uh, reintroduce yourself. It's really difficult and I can't claim any expertise in the matter. Speaking about women in tech, one of the questions that it always uh, is behind me is, well, what are, the, what are the arguments for bringing women into tech? Do you, do you have any insights on that? In terms of, you know, what, what specifically can, if we generalize, women bring into tech? Well, I don't know if it's fair to generalize uh, by gender. I go from first principles, seriously, treat people like you want to be treated. And I do know in practice that, uh, you know, women in tech do just fine. I don't understand why someone would have a problem with that, but I always rely on that first principle I mentioned, mm -hmm. treat people 
like you want to be treated. And if you just start there and proceed from it, uh, that's actually a pretty good way to live. Mm. Well, and, and I mean, from my angle, the, the, the amount of, well, on most of these social media, women are more present. Women have a ten, a easier tendency to share. They have more empathy. So they bring to the game a lot of the principles you're actually even talking about. So. Yeah, I just refrain from the generalizations when I can because I, I know I have my own biases and ways of looking at things. And that's why, again, I uh, treat people like I want to be treated. And that's why I defer to the people who are doing a good job in specific areas. In this case, like uh, women who tech, uh, there's girls who code, black girls code. There's a whole bunch of organizations that I'm leaving out right there. The idea is to stand up for the people doing good work and then stand up for them some more. Uh, get committed, get engaged, and stay committed. Stay engaged. Yeah. Stay part of the conversation. So one of the other uh, areas is peer-to-peer -peer giving. And, uh, and clearly it's a burgeoning area. How do you see this, this, do you see this movement continuing in the future? Do you see that we're just the beginning? And how do you see it evolving? Well, a lot of people want to help other people. And we realize that sometimes uh, centralized top-down organizations are often ineffective, they get in the way, there's a fair amount of overhead. So I figure I like to locate uh, organizations which are trustworthy and which are good and identifying people who do good work but who need some extra resources. Usually those extra resources are uh, influence and cash and these peer-to-peer -peer organizations do a really good job of making that happen. One of them is Donors Choose, where teachers, particularly in high poverty areas, they identify uh, projects and then people, uh, regular people, can help fund them in small amounts. And that's something I've been doing for a number of years. Another group that does a really good job of that is Kiva, both operating globally and in the U.S. There's a lot of small business people who just need very small loans to get their businesses going, and in practice, they work out really well. In practice, most of their loans are paid off, and that actually is a better record than a lot of big business. How important is technology in peer-to-peer -peer giving as far as you see the vision of it progressing? Um, technology makes it possible. The idea is that we're dealing with substantial databases that connect people all over the world, and you need that kind of connection to be democratic, open to everyone. You need it to be visible to as many people as possible across the world, and that means using Internet technology. It may mean, for the most part, using smartphone technology, connecting people everywhere uh, over the world through their phones. Uh, current trends seem to be that the smartphone is the way that people will connect through the internet to other people. I know you're very excited about the mobile. And what about uh, blockchain or, or Bitcoin blockchain technology as, as part of this peer-to-peer? Uh, -peer? I'm guessing I don't know enough yet about those technologies, but I'm very interested in blockchain as a means where a person who's already trusted 
could vouch for the trustworthiness of another person. They could uh, ledger that uh, testimony securely using a blockchain, and that might be the basis for a distributed web of trust, and that might be the way to make things work in a way that would be, well, globally distributed and widespread, and for that matter, fairly uh, fairly uh, low cost. That's right. So that's beautiful. Um, Craig, uh, you, what, I, what I love, and I really appreciate you spending some time with me on this, on the podcast, uh, to talk about things which you're, about which you're clearly passionate about and, and you know the you've really, you've picked five topics that you want to drive and you and you want to act and bring that to your world but i'd love to find out who have been the sources of inspiration for you in your life and maybe what are the kinds of things you like to read that uh, you, that stimulate you these days well the biggest thing that influences uh Leonard Cohen the uh, poet and musician. Sure. Uh, his words uh, seriously inspire me to do what feels right. And uh, I'm one of uh, many of his fans for whom his work has, uh, let's say, an almost religious sense. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of writers who also influence me in uh, big and small ways. The list is too long to keep in my head, which reminds me that I need to uh, add to my list of uh, books that I've read in uh, Goodreads or something like that. Sure. Uh, other influencers on me are the people who've developed internet-based technology or facilities, ones which could have been uh, multi-billion dollar technologies, but they've basically given them away. Uh, one of them is Jimmy Wells and Wikipedia. Another one is Linus Tarvalds and who did Linux. Uh, Linux is the computer operating system under uh, which runs and supports a lot of the World Wide Web. And since Android is kind of a form of, of uh, Linux, uh, Linux may be the most popular uh, operating system in the world. Certainly done a lot of great things. Well, uh, so Craig, thanks again for coming on the show. Um, how would you like anyone who listens to the show, what act would you like them to do? Well, to first... Uh, consider that they want to treat people like uh, they want to be treated. And then if they have the discretionary time and income, maybe find good, effective groups who are good at doing something they believe in, and then help out, either with uh, contributions or promotion via social media, whatever makes sense to them. Everyone should make an individual basis on the basis of their own unique values and proceed from there. Beautiful. Craig, so many thanks for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. I really, I really appreciate your taking the time to hang out with me, share your passion, and uh, I'll be certainly following everything you're doing. Hey, I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mentioned in your lack of self-secure.
The ridges in our palms make colors blend and look ugly in the end. But they're pretty in their own disgusting values. We'd hang our portraits in the hallways, make our house guests cringe. Oh, I wouldn't care about the of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 